afternoon. Last Thursday, we uh, covered a number of topics. Uh, it's very important is to, to understand the basics of searching through the graph. That we can go depth first, breadth first, in a way randomized order, as long as we keep exploring the graph. And uh, why stick to random? Well, we could use some plug in some heuristic and apply certain search strategy strategies, uh, fetching uh, the nodes from the priority queue. Then we uh, covered more in depth depth first search, giving the timestamp. When do we cover the node? When do we complete the node? Then we observed that once we complete then in that order we can uh, output uh, nodes to get topological sorting if there is no directive uh, if there is no cycles in the data in the graph so the last one that has been we complete we can't go anywhere anymore or the first node that is going to be last that's going to be the last in the topological sort and then we observe that the very same depth first search and idea close to topological sort will allow us to discover and define strongly connected components. So these are components where you can go through the cycles through every node in the graph. Once you can go from one node to the, any other node in that component, we can collapse that to a single node and get the strongly connected component graph. Uh, and because we apply topological sort, uh, this, uh, uh, there can't be cycles, then this uh, strongly connected component graph, uh, basically we can get it already topologically sorted. Uh, next we looked at two heuristics to sort of cover the entire graph by a tree. When you do search, starting from a node, and explore the graph, these are the ones that we call tree nodes, the tree edges, right? One of those tree edges uh, is going to be, or one of these trees is going to be special. It's the one that minimizes the overall length of the tree parts. And prim algorithm is uh, pretty much like graph search. We already have covered some part of the tree in the graph. And then we keep extending this single tree by finding the one that is closest, new node that is closest to any node of our prim search tree. Um, and Kruskal algorithm first sorts all the edges, for example, we know the shortest edge, uh, we start merging nodes together by these connections, and applying union find algorithm, ultimately we get the minimum spanning tree. So this is pretty much uh, from last time, and we also started to discuss about the shortest paths in the graph, huge graph. What is the shortest path from one node to some other node? So <laughs> depending, of course, from the start node, uh, the shortest path trees may look different. You start from left corner, you're Furthest away node is there, right? 
So the trees will be depending on where do we start. If there is no weight on the edges, then the algorithm would be, of course, to bread first, the first hop, the second hop, the third hop, fourth, etc. But in the case of uh, weights, uh, some edges may be much shorter or longer, and our shortest parts will have to be more uh, clever. So we can even look at the cases where the edges will have negative weights, and this we discussed a little bit last uh, week. Uh, the examples there from the from the currency exchange arbitrage. If there is some way to uh, exchange currencies by current tables that actually give you more money than what you started with, uh, this is called arbitrage. So arbit finding the arbitrage would be okay. This is now this is now broken. I dropped it. No laser, no nothing. When I switch on, the lights are here on, but it doesn't work. Sorry? Good and ask from, they have the green laser pointers available. <laughs> yes, why don't you make yourself useful? <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Uh, so imagine some shortest path from start node to the end node. It will be a path. If there is a cycling here with a positive weight, then you, of course you don't include that cycle with a positive weight. It turns out that sometimes when you apply some negative weights, then you may end up in the situation that <coughs> it's beneficial to take this infinitely and get as small distance as possible. So the algorithm will be algorithms to look at this data will either deal or not deal with the negative weights. And uh, we would like to identify whether the graph has negative weight cycle okay. 
So in here, there is a negative weight cycle, 3 minus 6, uh, you would get minus 3, minus 3, minus 3, uh, if you go through this cycle infinitely. Uh, and another example, I, I mentioned the arbitrage, but there was another example from chemistry. For example, you could imagine some uh, reactions that produce heat or decrease heat. Uh, whatever we model in computer is not the actual thing. Yeah, we try to model real thing, and it can get broken if we, for example, can infinitely generate energy in here, or infinitely absorb heat. So it would be at least good to detect these negative um, cycles. The basic of the basic the basis of all these algorithms is that there will be several observations. Any subpath in here will be optimal. It's not possible to shortcut because otherwise that would be on the shortest path, right? Any subpath of the shortest path has to be shortest in between those nodes. And uh, imagine that we have some start node. We have got in here with some distance, distance 1 for this path. And later in the search, we discover that uh, coming from here, we would have some other distance. And of course, what we want to do is to make sure that if you come from an, another path, that only the smaller one will remain as a distance in here. So from there to there, when we start exploring, we may get one distance, and from other path, we may get a better distance. And that's what this uh, um, relaxation does. So it was possible to go from U to V, um, but previously there was a path ending in V at cost 9, but now we come from U plus 5 plus 2 would be 7, therefore 5 plus 2, 7 should be the correct better distance from whatever the source is to V. Uh, in here, uh, 5 plus 2 would be 7, therefore it's not necessary to relax in here, uh, so the 6 will remain as a better choice. So this is the basis, and uh, now Berman forward algorithm just goes through, initializes uh, all the nodes are at infinite distance from me, I don't know anything about them, we start from the single source, but then we do enough many rounds so that in each round we relax for every edge. Uh, what happens if we go from U to V? If, we, if U is not infinite, edge has a certain uh, cost, so then we get from infinity to better estimate. So U plus the cost, the cost that was out until U, plus the cost from u to v uh, gives us the new uh, edge weight. So again, if we find a, a way to get better result, then we apply this better result in the graph.
Uh, now it turns out that when you have the source, one of those paths will be absolutely minimal, the shortest, right? There is uh, n nodes in the graph, therefore in n minus 1 steps, if we start from the single source, even if we just relax one correct step of this path, from the beginning we definitely can get it. And then in the next round, one again, after n minus 1 steps, we definitely end up at the end position. The problem is that this negative cycle in here, it may, may, it may be longer than just single node. If we now are absolutely certain that uh, the, negative, the, the shortest paths have gone through entire graph, if we try this once again and then observe, but we can still improve something, that means that there was a negative cycle on the way. So this last step is just to repeat uh, again for every edge in the graph if we can improve our distance, then there was a negative loop, negative cycle. So Bellman Ford is uh, uh, finding us the shortest path, plus it allows us to check whether there is any negative cycle or not. But it's not very efficient, of course. We, you go n times through every edge, so it's actually quite uh, relatively slow. The simulation was in here. You start from here. The neighbors are 6 and 7. So when we know the distance is 6 and 7, the infinity, then in the next round, from 6 plus 8 would be 14. You don't do anything, but 6 plus 5 is 11. But from here, 7 minus 3 is 4. So basically, at the next stage, we get the 6 minus 4 is 2, and 7 minus 3 is 4. From 4, apply minus 2. Now we get suddenly 2 in there. <coughs> so this path gives 2 in there. And uh, 2 minus... Well, this hasn't been updated, I guess. In the next round, 2 minus 4 will give us minus 2 to this location. So you get the path and the negative uh, overall distance. But there is probably no negative loops, uh, cycles in here on the way. Okay, uh, so that was the uh, first algorithm, uh, Batman Ford. Going to have a look on, on the um, on the internet. Imagine the case. Well, this is exactly like the one single loop of the Batman Ford. Just go through. Actually, no, this is uh, slightly different. In here, we go through every node and then look at it at, at its neighbors, and relax. This is applied on directed acyclic graph. In this case, where we could have the topological sort order so that the edge is only flow to the right. So whenever we start uh, explorations, 
Um, if this is a start node, infinity plus infinity is still whatever it is, infinity, but when we come to this node, we ask distances out from here, 6 will be there, um, yeah, 6 will be there, 2 will be there, so we have already the first step, next we take this node, 2 plus 4 is giving us 6, 2 plus 2 is giving us 4 in there, so we paint nodes in black, just going left to right and looking at the neighbors. So in, in this way you go through the graph only once. Not n minus 1 times like we did for the Bellman forward. Since there is no cycles in directed acyclic graph, there is no danger of, uh, of getting negative weight cycles. Okay, and then we uh, uh, come to one of the, um, again, one of the corner store algorithms, Dijkstra's algorithm, which solves the same question of single source, shortest paths to every other node. Um, the idea in here is uh, so that starting from a node, we know shortest paths to our close neighborhood. This is a weighted graph, works only for positive weights. So that weight can only increase. If the weights would be able to decrease, that would break the Dijkstra algorithm. So we have started from a single source, look at the neighbors, we, we know the distances to the immediate neighbors first. But we, what we care about is the one that is closest to the source. The one that is closest to the source is ultimately the only one that is going to be correct in the, in the latest uh, stage. If we don't get the first, the, the closest distance, longer plus positive value, we, we are never going to get the shorter distance anywhere. Right? So we only look at the closest one and then go out from that node. That may actually improve the distance estimates to other neighbors, because close plus close could be closer than the original direction. So the algorithm is very simple. We have all the nodes. We put all the nodes in the priority queue and fetch from the queue as long as the queue is not empty. It's like graph traversal. But we fetch the one that is uh, that is uh, currently known closest to the source. Currently known closest to the source is the source itself. It has distance zero. All the others have distance infinity. So in the beginning we fetch only the source itself. Then we say that we have covered... Uh, S is going to contain all... Oh, sorry. Initialize single... I have jumped over. Yes, everything is infinity, and the distance to node, start node S itself is zero. So I, I jumped over this uh, part in here. Everything is at the infinite distance, and uh, the root itself has no parent, and the distance is zero. 
over here. Yeah. So this is a situation. S is going to have our known covered universe of nodes. In the beginning, we haven't covered anything. We fetch the start node S from the queue first, and then we put that node into the covered area S. And now we look at the neighbors of that current closest node. All the neighbors relax from from the from the current node to all its neighbors, and add a new uh, weight. Do we get a better weight or not uh, for that for that particular node? All our nodes are currently in the priority queue, remaining in the priority queue. We started from here. We look at the neighbors. If this is the smallest, then in the next stage, this is what we have covered so far. And now from here, we look at the neighbors. And you can observe that 3 plus 3 gives us actually better estimate 6 for this node. This node stays in the priority queue. It had the value 6. Now we decrease key into 6. So we need this priority queue where we can update the minimal values in the queue. The, the values for any node in the queue. The next one, uh, obviously, is uh, 3 plus 2 is 5. So we, we take uh, this node out. Now we have covered this path. And now we are going to look at, at its neighbors and get uh, <coughs> uh, 11 would take us there, 5, 10 would take us there, and then the closest to this is this one, because that was only 6, distance 6 away from the, from the source. So now we, we include this one, and again, we look for neighborhood. So it is a uh, it is a greedy algorithm from the priority queue we always fetch the closest in the in the data structure. Start from here, five and ten, obviously five is the closer one. Uh, five is the closer one, therefore we start exploring from there. Uh, five plus three would give us eight, so we have better estimate than the original ten. Uh, five plus nine gives us fourteen. 5 plus 2 gives us 7. And then out of the 7, 8, and 14, 7 is the closest one. So we explore from here. Uh, distances, uh, we get 7 plus 6 is 13. So for, it was 14, but now we get 13. Um, and that's it, I guess. Then the next one closest was 8. 8 plus 1 gives us 9, so we improve this distance. And uh, 9 is the next node to, exp uh, to explore. 
we have covered the entire graph and we have the actual distances from the source. So to go to 5, 3, 1 gives this distance, 5 plus 2 gives this distance. From single source, we have shortest path distances calculated every node. And what is in here is like a tree, like a graph search tree. Parallel points to where did I get this shortest path from. Oh, just, just another example. Um, 8 plus 3 would give us better uh, estimate than the current team. And this was from Wikipedia, the image. So exploring, getting distance estimate for team. 7 is closest. Now we look at its neighbors. Uh, 7 plus 10 would keep 9 in here. Uh, now we explore from this node, get new estimates. We have covered this node. This one, 11 is closer than 20, so we explore from there, etc. It's like a crowd traversal algorithm, but from the queue we fetch appropriate nodes. Um, since we go through the entire graph, at every stage we make sure that we have everything that is close to us we have covered. So this is our loop invariant, and then we take the closest one and explore from there to the uncharted territories. But we needed the priority queues, and now depending what the priority queue was, either you store it in the simpler array, you do the binary heap. If you do binary heap, then we have for every node, every edge, we update the data structure in logarithmic operation. If you use Fibonacci heap, then for every node, you apply once the logarithmic cost and uh, decrease key value is a constant time operation. Therefore, V log V plus the number of edges in the graph. Dijkstra is uh, unfortunately dead by now, uh, but he, he has been contributing to many areas in the operating systems. Uh, he was the author of this uh, go-to statements are, uh, are bad, uh, considered harmful, uh, this statement and this position paper. So he has been one of the early pioneers in the computing. I think he was born around 1930 or so. Is, is this shortest path thing at the moment clear? Yeah? So we start from a node, we look at the close neighborhood, and the neighborhood may look like something like this, and we always try to estimate to go beyond the current closest. We only uh, care about this distance to this node. Right? We only fetch the... Uh, actually, this is covered. We know... Yes, we, we know the distances to all these nodes that have not been covered yet. Those that are further away, these are infinite distance away. 
So the immediate uh, neighborhood we keep in the queue and we fetch from there the one that is closest. Actually, also, also this one is in the queue, but we care really about this one. Now, this gives you shortest paths from a single start point to anywhere, right? But this doesn't tell you how to go drive from here to Tallinn or to Paris. How do we get the shortest path that takes you to the to there? If this is just a graph with distances, there is no way for you to know how to get there. Because from here, suddenly, a flight with no cost will take you there. There is no way for you to know which direction to, uh, to go. Fortunately, when we have maps, geographic uh, data, Euclidean, triangular inequality in place, etc., then what we do know is not only the uh, current shortest distance, but also the we can ask what is the estimate to the target. So from here, we know the distance, the actual distance to this node, but we also can calculate the estimate to the target. So how do we need to change the Dijkstra algorithm? It's very simple. We don't explore the closest to the start point, but we explore the one that is This distance, actual distance to this node, plus the estimate to the target, together is the smallest. The sum of the two values is the smallest. In this way, we don't need to go into the wrong direction, because that would always increase the estimate to the, to the endpoint. So we try to... Uh, look at the direction that takes us to the, to the endpoint. And it's import, important that we have to somehow be able to estimate this distance. And actually we should never overestimate, we should only underestimate if possible. So taking the geographic coordinate and taking the direct flight distance, direct path distance is possible, you, your actual road is always going to be longer. So, actual distance plus the estimate uh, is one that allows us only to search through this area of the graph. And this is going to be a very, very narrow path. Although the graph will be huge, it will take us very quickly to the endpoint. And this is, uh, with this single modification, it becomes a star algorithm, a heuristic. Uh, that is used in lots of uh, artificial intelligence, etc. <coughs> so the examples from here to there, it only explores very narrow path. From there to there, it explores very narrow path. 
it finds a quick way, and from there it starts to explore one side of the lake, the other side of, of the lake, until it realizes that it's better to go southwest rather than northeast. But because of the same argument as with the Dijkstra, at least, uh, at least uh, the heuristic is going to guarantee us that we ultimately will explore every possible path, but we prioritize those that have better estimate to the end, uh, end point. Okay, um, so we, you know how to explore graphs. You start from a node, you can explore the graph, etc. But you also know that there, you can represent the graph as a binary matrix, a JSONs matrix. So five points to four, five points to four, uh, four points to five, from four there is H to five. Uh, from 0, there are edges to 2 and 5. 2 and 5. <coughs> now, we can take this matrix as mathematical matrix, and we can do the following trick. If we want to ask uh, how to modify the graph so that instead of the original graph, I would ask, what is the graph? Where do I get with exactly two hops? From zero, you would get to one. From two, you would get to zero. From zero, you would get to one and four. From zero, you can get to one and four. So this is the path, all the paths that are exactly two hop paths in the original graph. And now it turns out that you can do this, calculate this, take the original matrix, multiply it with itself, and you get the answer. What does a multiplication uh, mean in here? Uh, from, from 2, there is an edge to 1. Uh, and from 1, there is... Uh, from 1, there is edge to 0. So from 2 there is into 1, and from 1 there is to 0. From 2 you should get to 0 in here. From 2 you get h to 0. So when you uh, multiply from 3, you get edges to, uh, in order to get 1 in here, from 3 to 2, from 2 you get to 1. So this third one in here, and 2, the third one in here, so you get from, from third node to uh, first node, you get this one by vector multiplication, or you go through this normal matrix multiplication um, row by column, and you get the one in here. 
So basically, the, in this resulting graph, C from I, there is H to J, if you go through every I, every K in the row AI and column BJ. So the sum of all this, uh, it defines the matrix uh, value of that particular place. And by going through the sum, uh, we get this value. In fact, what we need is uh, not just the sum, because it, you, you could have uh, three or four in here, but we only care if even one of those paths is possible. So we do this, uh, we do this bitwise, in fact. Well, this would be with the, with the sum. See. Yes, we convert this uh, bitwise, we just check if there is from S to I, I to T, therefore we call there is possible to go from S to T. But before this, uh, the multiplication, you go through every row, every column, and for a fixed row and column, for a fixed value, you go through every I, you set it originally zero, and you go through every I, checking if from S to I is possible to go, uh, and then from I to T is possible to go. So multiplying A and B, you get the multiplication into C. So this is N times N times N in simple cubic algorithm. You can do matrix multiplication in here. There are faster ones than cubic one. But this is the, as simple as it can get. So this is matrix multiplication. You add together all the number of paths that allows you to go from S to T. But this one just checks. Initial, initially, it's from S to T is false. And then even if for one I, you get S to I, I to T, then you set this value true. So this is more what we think if we have binary matrices. Again, loop through every row, through every column, and then we have fixed the row and column. You go through value by value, check if it's possible to go from S to I, I to T, then we have a path in this C uh, multiplied matrix. Uh, that was to get all the paths that in two hops, in one hop you go from S to I, and in the second you go from I to T. Therefore, you will have from S to T if there was one opportunity like this. Now what happens if we make in the binary matrix the diagonal all one? That would mean that you have the self-loops from 2 to 2, 3 to 3, etc. If we make diagonal all ones. What does now a single matrix multiplication imply? What is now 2 hop? matrix. Two hops would be one, two in there, but it could be also one hop and second hop. So all the originals stay, 
class, we are the ones that have two hops away. If we keep multiplying, we can, you can get to itself, to itself, one hop, to itself, one hop, two hops, or one, two, three hops. If we keep multiplying, we get ultimately every node from uh, reachable from this node. Every node reachable from this node, let's say uh, from here, one hop, two hop, three hop, one hop, two hop, three hop, four hop. So basically, by keeping multiplying the matrix to itself, after we have added self loops, uh, will give us transitive closure. From a node, every other node that is reachable by any path. And in this case, we extend the paths one hop at a time. One multiplication gives us one new hop. Second hop, third hop. So, uh, just to re uh, say exactly the same original graph, single multiplication gives us exactly two hop version of this graph. And when we have converted uh, the main diagonal into all ones, then you get one hop plus two hop, one and two hop uh, original graph, and that the edge to the two hop stage. So from one, you get in one hop, in two hop, so you get both ways, plus also two hops would take you to five. So there appears this five link from one to five. As I said, if you keep multiplying with this graph, with this all one, well, diagonal all ones, this gives you, if you take this one and multiply by this one, you get uh, one hop further, further, further. And you get transitive closure. Transitive closure of directed graph is, you have, we have all the same nodes, but there will be edge between any U and V if there is just any path from U to V in the original graph. So we can get it transitive closure by just multiplying, making all diagonal into once and, and multiply it with many enough times. How many with n minus one hops we would reach any other node? So it's enough to do n minus one times to get transitive closure. And transitive closure in here is depicted in here. So basically the, it, it's much more dense because now we represent everything reachable what is not reachable from 2, 3 is not reachable from 2. So basically 3, there is no way to reach 3 in the first place. Out of 3 you can get uh, anywhere out, but there is no way to go to 3. So there is no incoming gauge to 3. Now the question is, can we do this transitive closure quicker. With the first single multiplication we could, we could get the 
original graph plus one pop. If you multiply again, you get original graph plus one hop and two hops. But once we have something that is uh, uh, original graph, the, the single hop plus the second hop, that covers all. Uh, if we take that and multiply with itself, then we get 0, 1, 2, 3, and 4. If you take 4 hop graph and multiply with itself, you get anything up to 8 steps in the original graph. You go 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. So in logarithmic number of multiplications, we can get the entire transitive closure. Right? So the Original, what I told you was just to have the um, n times we have um, to multiply with itself many enough times, cubic operation, you multiply n times, you get v to the power of 4. When we do uh, use this exponential thing, we get much quicker, because log of v uh, rounds, we do multiply by, by this v4 times v4, v8 times v8, v16 times v8, uh, v16. But even this is uh, slow. It turns out that there is an algorithm that, a uh, Warshall algorithm that is outlined in here. Uh, this algorithm calculates the transitive closure. This one was the original multiplication of the algorithm. From S to T, originally it's false, S to I, I to T, then we say that it's possible to go from S to T. So that was a single multiplication. And now transitive closure of a graph stored in A is this algorithm. Can you spot the difference? No. Are they exactly the same? The innermost is So in here we go S, T, and innermost is I. In here you have I brought as outside loop and S and T inside loop. Otherwise it's all basically the same. It's it's possible to go to, from S to I, I to T, then we say that it's, the path is possible and uh, um, that should be in the transitive closure. So for particular I, you go through every ST pair and check this one. Then you take the next I, look every ST pair, you get extended. How on earth does this calculate the Transitive closure. What we care about is that there is, if there is in the original graph, there is uh, from S to I, I to T, then we say that it's possible to go to S from S to T. And by going 
very slow with i, you start from i equals zero. That covers all the paths that go from s to t in the original graph, or s zero t. Next, you take one, and then you will have everything that goes from s to t, including those that went through zero. And now, what we include is the path that go through s one t. So, in a way, what happens in here, we keep lowering the i uh, in the outermost loop, and any path from any s to t that goes through anywhere up there, down there, so these will, will be already in the graph, and uh, we just say all paths via 0, all paths via 1, all paths via 2, 3, and keep growing them. What is the complexity of this algorithm? It's, of course, it's exactly the same as this multiplied in here, because you have n times n times n operation, n times n times n operation. So it's as efficient to calculate transitive closure as it was to just multiply with a slow algorithm uh, two matrices. And this tries to say that you, you can get these paths, S10T, 2S01T, and keep growing them. Next time you go through the uh, 2, including all the 01 options, etc. Now, you are smart kids, guys, people, well, girls, uh, guys, young people. How can you make this faster? Simple code optimization. Sorry? Once this is true, then you can stop. Yeah, I think this is very clever. It's enough. Once we have set it, there is no reason to try more, right? That is very clever. There is something else. And of course, you don't know how frequently this happens, that you have multiple paths. So, so you, you would have to test it but on the particular data. Does it improve or not, by the way? Right? What else can you do? When do you execute this if statement? You execute this if statement if this condition is true, for God's sake. If true, then do this. When is this true? If both of them are true, right? So when are both of them true? What happens if, if one of them is, if the first one is false? 
If it's false, if it's false, it stays false throughout all this loop. Changing t doesn't make this true, right? So you can test for this already after knowing i and s. And only if this is true, then you execute this one. So in here, if this is not true, you go to the next uh, s. Now you already know that si was true, and you only test when it becomes true. And this can save you also a few cycles. And in here, you could do if this is true, this is true, and go to the next s. The improvement that it is not on the slides, by the way. Uh, the way how you express this is, of course, is idioms from different uh, programming languages. Uh, uh, this type of writing you can uh, write in Perl and probably not in Java. Next S unless, uh, unless this is true. But if this is true, then you execute this. Of course, you can do it's more. This is the simple outline. The same algorithm, but now using the edge lists, going through the uh, edge lists. If there is edge from S to I, only then you execute this loop. If there is I to T, then you insert in from S to T. The same algorithm, just different, uh, uh, different uh, libraries. Now you can measure uh, this, these different algorithms. Warshall algorithm, this uh, improved Warshall algorithm, um, depth first search, A and L, depth first search, either with the matrix representation or list representation, adjacency matrix or adjacency list representations. So if the graph is sparse, then all the ways, if you store it in the matrix, is going to slow down. Right? If the graph is sparse, there are very few ones, then it's faster to do with the uh, lists. Adjacency lists. If the graph is dense, 250 nodes, 100,000 edges, lots of ones. Uh, then uh, 326 seconds, 246, so much uh, faster. Um, the <coughs> depth first search is uh, about the same depth first search, in fact goes everything uh, um, uh, reachable from the start node, so this could be fast, and the uh, adjacency list one will be slow. So this is measurement comparison of these things. And you can add the single test, if there was one already, what happens to W star after that. Okay. Uh, Two minute break, stand up, do some exercise. It was requested last time. Malware surprise. What? Malware surprise. <laughs>
should I ask from them from this uh, DFS, DFS searches? What about the three, four, and five exercises? What I'm here because I don't know what to say in this three, four, or five. What should I sub kind of torture them on? Because, well, I guess they know. Because too simple. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would say yeah. Mm -hmm. I would go for this kind of heuristic searches and show them an example of the where the DFS doesn't really work. On DFS would not work. You should go for some <coughs> smart algorithm like A star with some heuristics. So A star would be good. Yes? I have one question. Are there two of the power of n squared different directed class in n nodes? Two implies the edge or not, right? Yes. And there, there is n to n potential uh, edges, and two to the power of that is is it present or not? And and that may include, of course, the self loop itself as well. End to end possibilities for direction for directed graph is it present or not? Okay, so this one is uh, uh, we carry on with the graphs, but now we do the uh, funny thing. Now we do the random walk in the graphs. It's called the Markov chain. Uh, some of you may know. You can start from, from a particular node, node, for example, in here, and with a certain probability, 95% probability, you, you, you would end up in this path, and only occasionally, 5%, you go there. From there, only one opportunity out. Of course, you follow that always, but from here, 20%, you go there, 80% you, you, you go there. And you can start walking randomly, throwing the, doing the coin toss. Once you are in the node, uh, what is the example? Once you are here, you don't care how did you get here. Did you come from here or from there? You don't care. That's why it's Markov chain. You uh, know past history. You are here and you make your choice. The next. Uh, there are variants of Markov chain when you actually care where did you come from, and but this is conditional probabilities. Uh, depending on where did you come from here, uh, the conditional from here or here, you could have different probabilities. It's possible to convert them to a similar type of, uh, type of uh, Markov chains, so longer histories, you can all convert those in, into a single state, just explode the state space a little bit, but it's possible to go from zero order Markov model, where you, where you don't look at any history, to uh, first, second, third, etc. or Markov models. So, uh, if you start random walk processing here, then you can start counting how frequently you visit uh, some nodes. Any path is possible, but you will visit them with, with a certain frequency. And this, uh, uh, ultimately, uh, these frequencies stabilize out, <coughs> independent from where did you start. You could start from here, or from there, from there. Over a couple of uh, iterations, it will be one single 
stationary distribution of the frequencies by which you visit every node. Of course, you can do it very simple, sim simplistic simulation. You just uh, do the random number uh, generation in here and choose how to go. Right? Uh, you can also represent this as the weighted uh, graph in the matrix notation. So from one, you go 95% to two, and 5%. 95% to 2 and 5% uh, to 3. So you can make a graph like this. And it turns out that when you keep multiplying this graph with itself, like we did in the previous case, uh, power iteration, you will end up in something. This is this graph. You, you just multiply it with, with itself. This is the outcome. 32.6% of the times you will end up being in the first day, uh, no, uh, first node, 30.9% in the second, etc. This was the random walk procedure doing 100,000 steps. Of course, you get 32,000 times you were in the first node in here. So out of 100,000 steps, 32,000 times we ended up in there. Right? You can very simply count that. Uh, and convert that into the probability. So all the 1,614 times we were in the node number 3, out of 100,000, it's this one, out of 100,000 iterations, uh, 1,600 we were here. So this is of course very improbable because only 5% of the cases we go there. But the loop will, uh, well, in the A, we always go back to A. So whatever the path in the A will be very frequently. So this is the first, the first one, and 32.6% of the time we are there. 32.6, um, and then, of course, this is almost as frequently because almost always we go to that one, right? The point is that by simple multiplication, you get probability estimates how frequently we will be one or the other uh, state or node in the graph. Raise hands who does not know what this picture is about. Raise hands who does not know. So all of you know, okay, what is this? One doesn't know. Everybody else knows. Why are you still shy? Who knows what this picture is about? Three. So, how can... <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> it should add up to the number of people in the classroom. Who does not know what this picture is about? Don't be shy. It's not... <laughs> this is... This depicts the, the financially most profitable algorithm ever. This is a graph, no weights. In here, I told you how to do stuff with the weights. In here, there are no weights. And basically, what this picture represents is random walk procedure and how frequent you are in one state or the other. 
there are small nuances that are not entirely uh, visible from the picture. What is this algorithm about? It sort of tries to say that the most important node is this B, because most frequently you will be end ending up in there. Therefore, if that page happens to have the keyword that you search for, that must be the first one ranked to you by Google PageRank algorithm. So this is the Google PageRank illustrated. There is web pages, and links are hyperlinks from the web page. Web page can have two links, or can have... Uh, which one does it have more? So this one has two... Most of them have just two links, and there is no weight one, one over the other, right? So it's just 50-50 chance you pick one or the other. So random mon monkey walk, random monkey walk would end up there 38.4% of the times. The caveat is that the random monkey sometimes, like if you, if you start from here, if you go there, there is no link out. So this is a web page with no links. You would, stuck, you would get stuck in there. Or if you come in here, you just keep shuffling between there and there is no way out of that loop, okay? because there is no links out. So what uh, Google PageRank, or Page, Larry Page, PageRank from, from Larry Page, so what they uh, came up as uh, students at Stanford was that this is a random walk probability, but we have to take care of a couple of things. If we get stuck, like in here, there has to be probability to re-emerge anywhere in the graph. With equal probability. If this one has what about 10, 11 nodes, then with the with this uh, one in 11 probability, you appear in any other node. Uh, from here, you choose one of the one, two, three outgoing links by random. Uh, and uh, then the question is, um, well, so basically one is that we have to get uh, rid of these dead ends. Like in here, you have to be able to re-emerge from anywhere. And there are some page that only links out. Nobody uh, links to those, right? So we have to be able to uh, also start from here. Yeah? If they are indexed by the search engine, we have to be able to uh, start from here. So by this reappearing anywhere in the graph would take us 1.6% of the times to these, any of these uh, blue okay, violet uh, nodes in here. Um, this is uh, how it's done. So basically, the, the way how from node uh, Q is this, this is the dead end. I tried to regenerate re exactly this picture by this simulator. You can actually add new nodes, you can delete nodes, you can add edges. So this, this and this graph should be equal to itself. Just did today before the lecture. So if you get to this queue, there is one eleventh probability to re-emerge anywhere in the graph. Uh, from N 
there is three links out, one third probability to go to choose any one of those. So this was our original matrix that I multiplied with itself. So this plus from the dead end, you can go out to anywhere. This represents the original matrix. We 85% uh, of the times we follow these links, and it's 15%, or you can make it larger probability you emerge in any of the 11 nodes. So, and this matrix representation, in fact, corresponds to, to the task that if you keep multiplying, this will be, uh, the, this graph will get power iterated, so the graph uh, will start from, uh, from this, uh, uh, how is it, Google matrix uh, G is this uh, multiplication, and then you, you just uh, power iterate G times G times G, until it stabilizes. And then you get uh, the convergence of this matrix. Actually, you get the convergence very quickly with 10, 20, 100, even less multiplications. And you get the probabilities uh, by which you stay in one or the other node in this graph. So, uh, graph, there were no weights. Weights are just, uh, depends how many links there is. From here, one-third opportunity to go anywhere, plus uh, there was possibility to appear in any of the nodes by random chance. So mathematically, Google PageRank just defines, and, and it tries to say that how important a node is depending how many links point to that page, and even if there is only one link to that page, what you care about is how important guys point to you. If this is important and there is a single link to C, therefore C must be a very important website. And then Google PageRank is a logarithmic uh, value of this uh, probability. So the higher the value, the random monkey would end up on that page more frequently. So that was, a, that was original, uh, and, and when you get the uh, search by keyword, you get millions of pages, then you just care the ones which have highest page rank. That was as simple as that, the first Google uh, search engine. The problem is, of course, that then people started to make link farms so that to boost certain nodes uh, by having large link farms uh, pointing to each other and pointing to themselves boosting the page rank artificially. And then, of course, Google had to start fighting these uh, link farms, etc. Uh, and, of course, these matrix operations, you don't get entire internet times entire internet as a matrix representation into the memory. You keep them in more clever ways as, as uh, uh, linked lists. I don't even know exactly how to calculate that, but mathematically, it's as simple as that. Yeah, so this one illustrates from n there are out three links and what is the probability, etc. So you can play around with different graphs and how, see how this is uh, calculated. This is a graph uh, from our research. 
where the nodes on the circle or outer circle are um, genes or proteins, and the link between them uh, occurs if those two proteins are known to interact by some database, or they are related, banana gene is similar to human gene, then they are linked in here, or they are having the similar expression profiles over all the cancers, for example, etc. So different types of evidence pointing to the relationship between the genes. The idea that is that the more evidence, the stronger they are related somehow. Now the layout in here hints that this graph is huge, dense, impossible to look at. Right? So what we would like to get is to understand what are the subgraphs in here that you can actually have a look at. So to take this and break it into something like this. To do the graph clustering. There are larger components, uh, some smaller components, some components because of one type of evidence is overwhelming, some type of components where the other type of evidence is overwhelming. There will be hubs interacting with many proteins. Uh, different types of interactions can be there. So the question is how to go from there to this breakdown. And the idea is that, well, this is just another illustration. This is a graph. And we would like to define these dense regions, the ones that are more like clicks, like in here or in here, to find those modules. And now what, what, what intuitive, what, what will happen is, if you put a random monkey walk around in here, then once you are here, you keep walking around in here for a while, and then you escape. So random monkey, random walk procedure would somehow be stuck in here for a while. Or in here. Once in here, you keep wandering around in here. Uh, well, and then we can ask what is common for these nodes in here. It doesn't matter at this stage. The point is that this random walk procedure, uh, we use the Stein von Dungen, another touch guy, von Dijkstra was touch, is Stein von Dungen, um, wrote his PhD thesis about 15 years ago about this, how to take the graph and do this Markov chain Monte Carlo clustering, sort of random walk procedure to achieve the clustering of this touch graph. You follow these different paths, and if you uh, hit some regions that are trans uh, traversed often, uh, those form the clusters. So you start random uh, walks, and the regions where you start uh, hitting frequently, you make these regions stronger, these connections slightly stronger. Those connections that you don't visit so often, those you make weaker. And by weaker, they can go to zero, right? So by making some connections stronger, some connections weaker, depending how frequently you visit them, from this graph, you will end up in this or this stage. And these are the original sort of like, from the left graph, 
sort of nice modules from the left graph. Now, why do I show this? Because the algorithm is like this. You, you make the graph, you add self-loops, uh, M1, you basically iterate between M matrix 1 and matrix 2. Uh, this is a matrix 1 is random box or graph. As long as there are changes, you do one multiplication, then you apply, look at what happens uh, to M1, you apply this gamma, somehow, that is inflation, and in here you do this one step, you expand the network, and in here you inflate, or sort of, uh, you can in here, you take this one, you make links stronger or weaker by this one, applying this gamma, you get the new version M1. And then you see, look at the, the new version and this multiplied version, you compare them. If there are changes that are large enough, then you keep iterating this. This sta stabilizes, this converges over a number of loops, and then you are done, then you just output the new matrix that will have these components for you. So, uh, kind of tricky algorithm in matrix notation expressed extremely compact manner. And you, you can then solve many different uh, uh, problems of the real world, uh, see how the protein clusters have emerged, etc. Uh, okay, uh, so this was about the uh, matrix notations and matrix multiplications, and uh, suddenly we got into fancy stuff like uh, Google PageRank, uh, Markov chain uh, simulations, and Markov chain uh, clustering by doing something with these matrices. The I'm just giving you hints about the next uh, lecture. So, what we care about now next is our graphs can be, of course, coming from different sources, as we uh, convincingly told previously. This one is a protein uh, data graph. We may want to have not a single source to any node distances, but we want to have the solution where. You, you have one and the other, and ask, what is the distance between those two nodes? We don't have the Euclidean space, we don't know which direction to start looking for, so the best you can sort of think to do is one hop, two hop, uh, three hop neighborhoods. These are your friends in the Facebook, they have friends, often they are connected to your friends, so many of your friends are connected to each other, but this is the, this is you, the first hop, second hop, uh, third hop, 
neighborhood, right? If you want to get asked what is the closest uh, distance to President Obama, then you would need to go maybe the entire graph, and that may take you, depends on the size of the graph, maybe 20 minutes to go through several billion users in the Facebook. Uh, so the question that we are going to look at next is, what happens if you, we don't want to calculate all the distances to every node. We know that we want to have distance to here, but we don't know which direction to start looking. Right? We don't know who takes us closest to here. Uh, so given these two points to ask, what is the possible shortest path between them? And uh, it turns out that the theoretically best is still to do this breadth-first search, but we can do, try to do better uh, by applying some heuristics in here. For example, you could do what you could do. Uh, if this is, you know that one, two, three hops is in here, what you could do is to look at the one hop, two hop, three hop neighborhood in here and see, I should have thrown it like that, and see whether there is some intersection. If you get one, two, three short assistance to that node, and you get one, two, three to that node, then it must be six hops maximum, right? So, uh, in this way, of course, you would, you better use hashing, because you have 100 friends, they have 100 friends, they have 100 friends, so you, you may have uh, one million, in, in three hops you may have one million nodes already. Or, of course, you have 500 friends to the power of three. It could be millions of nodes to check if there is some intersection between the sets. What about using room filters to see if the nodes present in the, in the set is really injected? Sir? Can we just expand from, from yourself this three hopes you added to the room filter and then start exploring from the other side? From the other side. Uh, yeah. So Bloom filter said no if it was definitely no, and yes if it was possible, yes. Yeah. And but yes, of course, what you care about is definite no, right? And if it's possible, yes, then at least you can explore, identify some no, and then see whether it indeed is on this, the same graph. So hashing, of course, would be useful in here. Um, and, and this is much faster than, than doing, uh, keep going from here uh, four, five, six hops, because that six hops from you would be entire Facebook. So this one would be still a million, million times plus million. It's uh, feasible. And uh, so that would be one opportunity. Uh, but the, the other one is, 
is uh, that we are going to look at uh, next time is imagine that there is some some guy FPI some superpower node that knows the distances the shortest path distances anywhere right? uh, from this guy this is shortest path so you know what do you know? You know, you can turn around. So from here, there is some distance uh, d1, and from there to there is d2. And now the question is, what do you know about d1, 2? Like Doesn't matter at this stage. What do you know from from knowing? At least you know that this plus this, at least this is a path. Shorter distance might be there, but this is the upper bound. So d1 plus d2 could be the shortest distance. But it could be the real distance could be smaller. What else do we know from these distances? Let's make it very easy. What do we know now? About this. How small can this T one two be? We have, it can't be more than d1 plus d2, but can we get some lower estimate? d1 minus d2 is So what happens if it would be, if, uh, this d12 would be smaller than this distance minus this so that would mean if this d12 would be smaller than d1 minus d2 that means that on this part T2 is there, but suddenly we would say that if, if this is smaller, then this is not our true shortest path. If this T1, 2 would be smaller than uh, T1 minus T2, 
In that case, the true shortest path should be from here. This is smaller plus T2. But we started from the assumption that we have the shortest path. Or the shortest distance. Therefore, at least we can have the upper bounds and lower bounds. If it's 5 plus 5, then the 0 doesn't really tell us anything. It's between 0 and 10. But in some cases, when it's 2 and 8, we already know that it can't be better than 6. Then, it, then the distance has to be between 6 and 10. And now if we just don't use 1, but we have more, like maybe 20, then we get our estimates better and better. Upper and lower bounds. So that allows us to approximate what, it, what would be the actual distances if we have a couple of these landmarks that know the distances to any other node. And all that is needed is for this landmark to just know the distance, distance 1 or distance 2, even without knowing the path, as long as we know the distance. So this one has to know n times uh, distances, n distances. Within distances, we can get quickly get two distances and get a new estimate from there. And that, that's what we are. Uh, so this is a teaser. And uh, next, uh, well, this Thursday, we are going to look how uh, Costa made this idea into, uh, well, fast. Yes, it's fast. But we make it also dynamic so that we can update the data more easily. And uh, uh, this is tricky because updating the graph would mean that you would need to recalculate all of these distances in the first case. So this paper we are going to look at uh, next time. Simple ideas, actually. Okay, we can finish now. You can also add uh, slides from this what school have gone with this paper. They published it. I guess they, no, they didn't. They, they, they sent it for submission. This, this, uh, this master's student. This first school paper I was thinking here for, for essay. Oh. So that we have the basic in here, and one of the options to make it even better is through the essay. Yeah. So for the essay, I'm thinking of the maximum flow, this forest school paper, maybe something from the bitmap operations, and something else, and then we are basically have the collection four or five papers which is enough to kickstart the essay writing. Okay. And in that case, it's really about data structures. More. Right. It would be nice to have something about this Monte Carlo, maybe Marquette Monte Carlo clustering as well. Oh. Okay, so, so basically, Flora School, this uh, maximum flows, something about bit, well, we need to identify this bitmap, and maybe something about the topics that we have roughly covered so far. Okay. And then we can uh, submit the essay even next. Thursday, this Thursday, mm. give three weeks or something. Okay.
I'm just going to come up with something, I guess. Then they will complain again about their sales credit and gathering. 